Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Good evening. It's good to be with you all tonight uh, back at our evening services. Uh, I know it's been said a couple times, but I, I especially enjoy these times. It's a, it's a special time with a smaller group of people, a more casual time of worship, so it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad, to be, glad to be back. You're not supposed to say that you like evening service better than the morning services, so I won't, uh, and we'll just get into the, get into the sermon from, from there. Um, so we're starting a sermon series for these, uh, for these services called Ordinary Faith. Uh, now, in one sense, there's no such thing as ordinary faith. When God works in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, when he gives us faith and everything that comes with it, it is such an incredible gift that it almost seems insulting to call it ordinary. And yet, faith doesn't always look the way we think, the way we would expect. We read about Great men in Scripture, the apostles and, and the prophets working miracles, raising from the dead, converting whole cities, uh, but we don't often see these things in our lives. And the reality is there are great examples of everyday faith all throughout Scripture. This kind of ordinary faith is just as great an evidence of God's power as raising the dead, but we don't often focus on them. So that's what we're doing this summer. We're looking at men and women in Scripture who displayed faith that could appear ordinary, but was full of power. So tonight we're going to start by looking at a man who doesn't play a central role in Scripture, but his story is glorious and it's one that we can learn from. We're going to be looking at how faith grows in Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an interesting character that kind of floats around on the periphery of, of Jesus' ministry. And we first meet him in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn there? And would you please stand as we, as we read God's word? Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in, will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. This is the word of the Lord. And please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to speak to us through your word tonight. As we look at the life of Nicodemus, we pray you would teach us about faith and about how it grows. I ask you to give me your spirit as I preach. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this is the first of three passages about Nicodemus that we're going to look at tonight. So we need to address the key points here fairly quickly. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was highly respected, powerful, and very wealthy. All these things explain the second verse in our passage, that he came to Jesus by night. Now, have you ever heard the saying that nothing good ever happens after midnight? This is a, this is a, a generality, but there is some truth to it because those who sneak around at night do so because they don't want to be caught. Now, the Pharisees were a group of people that Jesus regularly rebuked. They hated Christ and his power, and they wouldn't have been happy if one of their members became a disciple. So there was great risk for Nicodemus to become a follower of Jesus. He would have lost his status and the respect he held. He was curious about Jesus, but afraid of what he might lose if he followed him. So he came at night. So our friend Nicodemus is not off to a great start. He fears men rather than God. He wants to keep the things of this world that he has gathered for himself. This is not exactly disciple material. And we are not the only ones to recognize this. Uh, this passage has many famous verses in it, John 3.16 being, being foremost of them. But as we recognize the context of Christ talking to Nicodemus, we, we realize that Jesus isn't pulling any punches here. So where do you think is the hardest blow in this passage towards Nicodemus? My initial thought was that it's when Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? But looking further down, I think we see a rebuke that hits much harder. Would you look again at verses 19 through 21? I'll read it again. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So this passage is well known to, to many of us. We read it and we think about the necessity of confessing our sins, which is a good application of what Jesus is saying here. Sin loves darkness, so bringing it to light by confession is necessary for our fight. But I don't think that's what Nicodemus was thinking at this point. Nicodemus just came to Jesus by night. He was talking with Jesus in the dark. 
And then Jesus told him that those who love the darkness and hate the light are evil. Light is capitalized in our Bibles when we read it, but it was not capitalized when Jesus was speaking it. And Nicodemus had already taken the new birth as literal. So imagine how he took this. I can tell you, you could cut the tension in the room with a knife. And that's how the interaction ends. We don't see signs of repentance. We don't see a response from Nicodemus. No evidence of understanding. Just a man who is weak in faith, left trying to grapple with a rebuke from Jesus. Again, Nicodemus is not off to a great start. And yet, we are all like him at times. Where are you ashamed of Christ? I'll put it a different way. What is something you know you should start doing, but haven't gotten to it yet? Fathers, have you neglected family devotions with your children? Husbands, have you put off praying daily with your wives? Have you failed to speak up for Christ at work or at your family Thanksgiving dinner or at your family on the in-laws Thanksgiving dinner? Have you put off having your neighbors over so you can share the gospel with them more fully? When was the last time you shared Christ with the homeless man on the curb? Where are we ashamed of Christ, afraid of what we might lose? This Nicodemus guy is closer to home than we realize. So please remember these questions as we move on and think of ways that you have failed and have been ashamed of Christ as we, as we look at these next few passages. So we next find Nicodemus in John chapter 7, verses 45 through 52. Jesus has just made another bold statement that people do not understand when he said that those who are thirsty are to come to him and drink. The Pharisees are seeking to seize him, and that's where we pick up in, in chapter 7 here. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? This crowd which does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. So something has inter interesting has happened to Nicodemus since we last saw him. He has grown. His faith has increased, and as a result of that increase, Nicodemus takes action. He's sitting in a room full of Pharisees, and he is the odd man out, because of his belief in Jesus. I can imagine the room when, when, one of the, when someone says, no one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? And all the group agreeing, yeah! And there's Nicodemus sitting there shrinking back into his seat a little bit. He has a question. He says, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him. Knows what he's doing, does it? So we can look at this in a couple of ways. We can see Nicodemus and say, well, that's not much growth. And in a way, it's not. His objection comes in the form of a question rather than an outright statement. He's still so timid, he won't even say how he thinks Jesus' case should be handled. He asks rather than stated. 
Further, his question isn't even an outright defense. He doesn't say anything along the lines of, I believe in Jesus. He simply said that Jesus should be tried before he's judged. He tried to hide behind the authority of the law rather than just standing up for the truth. So, no, there's not much growth here, but there's another way of looking at it. We can see Nicodemus and say, well, there is some growth. Nicodemus' faith is doing what faith does. It's growing. He's willing to say something publicly. Even though his obedience is small and not what it could or should be, Nicodemus has made his first foray into the fight for Christ. He even gets a scratch from his little excursion onto the battlefield. So you obey even when you aren't perfect. Even when there's sin mixed in with your obedience. This is how faith grows. We have one more passage to look at with Nicodemus. Again, remember the areas of growth that you need in your life as we, as we move on. Our final passage is in John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. This, is right, this takes place right after Christ's death on the cross. So after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So now we see something in Nicodemus. But before we look at him, there's, there's another character that's just been introduced here. Joseph of Arimathea is uh, mentioned he, in each of the four Gospels here at the death of Christ. In the other Gospels, we learn that he was a rich man and a member of the council, so he was powerful and respected. Does it sound like anyone else we know? He was in a very similar situation as Nicodemus. And up until this point, Scripture tells us that he was a secret disciple. This seems to me like an oxymoron. How can you be a secret disciple? Jesus has said that he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Jesus requires that we give up everything to follow him. So Joseph was weak. He was fearful. He disobeyed Christ's command to not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So Joseph, like Nicodemus, was a lot like us. One of the reasons that we're looking at these examples of ordinary faith in Scripture is to get us to realize how much like us the men and women of Scripture are. They aren't superheroes who never sin. When we read Scripture, we don't travel into Bible land where it's easy to see the good guys and the bad guys because the good guys only ever do good and the bad guys only ever do evil. Remember the questions that I asked earlier. We are often fearful of man. We are often Joseph. We are often Nicodemus. And in this, we have hope. 
Because Joseph, the secret disciple, now comes to Pilate asking for the body of Christ. Nicodemus comes with him and brings 100 pounds of spices to prepare Jesus' body for burial. This wasn't a secret action. This wasn't coming to Jesus by night. Now, the house that I grew up in had two things. It had hard water and we had chickens. So for hard water, you need a water softener, many of you know, and for a water softener to run, it requires salt. So we have here a salt bag. This weighs 40 pounds. A, for, and chickens, in order to lay eggs, need to be alive, so they require food. So we have here a bag of chicken feed as well, and this weighs 50 pounds. Uh, when I was young, this is how I thought about weight. If something, weighed, if something was heavy, I thought about it in terms of these two bags. Does it weigh as much of a bag of chicken feed or as much as a bag of salt? Those two together weigh about 90 pounds. So what do we know about Nicodemus? When, I, when we were driving over here, I was saying that we needed to get here before everyone else so I could bring these in and put them up on the stage before there's a bunch of people here. And Marie very helpfully said, well, you could just hide them behind your back so that no one sees. <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. You can't do that. So what do we know about Nicodemus? We know that he's not sneaking in the myrrh and aloes under his coat. This isn't like trying to bring a box of candy into a movie theater Maybe you like tape it to your leg inside your pants or something and hope that the person at the ticket counter isn't paying attention. This is a very public, noticeable action. People saw what Nicodemus was doing. Furthermore, the myrrh and aloes that Nicodemus brought were extraordinarily expensive. This was an amount reserved for royalty. This was not a subtle action. And once they had prepared Jesus' body for burial, they laid him in Joseph's own tomb. So when you consider Joseph and Nicodemus here, there's a question you should ask, which is, where are the disciples? Where are the twelve Jesus appointed? And at this point, they've all fled. We next find them locked in a room for fear of the Jews. And these two men, who have been fearful of the Jews their entire lives, are now out in the open showing their love for Jesus. They don't care what people think of them. They're not scared of being known as disciples. Rather, they want to be known as disciples. This is what faith does. The faith of these men has grown to a point that it cannot be contained. It has to work its way out into the world where everyone can see. This isn't quiet faith. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said the kingdom of God is like leaven, which is hidden in flour and grows until it is all leavened. This is outrageous faith. So there's two ways we need to think about faith growing. And each one of us likely struggles with one or other of these thoughts at various times. Some more this way, some more that way. But we need to understand, one, that faith grows. And two, that faith grows over time. So first, faith grows. And that growth is evident in action. We're lazy, and so if something is difficult, we don't want to do it. We find excuses not to fight our sin, to put it off until tomorrow. I asked you a few questions earlier that may have struck some of you. Maybe you thought of something else that you haven't done. Regardless of what your sin is, resolve to fight it. The faith God gives us is worthless if it doesn't lead to change in our lives. 
If we're not taking this gift of God and running with it, then we are scorning his gift. Nicodemus could have sat around and waited for his faith to just grow naturally. Faith grows. I'll just wait until it happens. There were a dozen reasons not to speak up against the Pharisees in our second passage. What he said wasn't going to change anyone's minds. It'd be better if I build a relationship with them before I speak. Or this large group isn't the right setting. I'll wait till we can have a one-on-one conversation and deal with it that way. There were even more reasons not to prepare Christ's body for burial. He was already dead. The time to become a follower had passed. All the other disciples had already left. Nicodemus could have lived out the teachings of Jesus quietly without going through all the trouble of spending a fortune and lugging a hundred pounds of spices through town. His obedience included the sacrifice of a large sum of money. He gave up his reputation. He threw himself into conflict with the other Pharisees because you can be sure they didn't let this go by quietly. And he looked like a fool in front of everyone. There was no need for Nicodemus and Joseph to be the ones to bury Jesus. But their faith led to action. This is how faith grows. When God gives us faith and increases it, he does it for and through action. So repent of your sin. Don't put it off any longer. When you read scripture and the Holy Spirit pricks your conscience, obey. Just obey. I want to speak specifically to those of you who have been in the church for a while. Pastor Nathan told us this morning, and it isn't enough to be in the building or to attend all the services. The life of a Christian is one of being. So what sins have you made peace with? Consider whether you're growing. Call on God to help you grow. And then, like Nicodemus, start obeying. Second, we need to understand that faith grows over time. It's easy to look at our sin and see how far we are from where we want to be, where we should be, and to become discouraged. So you sinned today. Maybe you lost your temper with your children again, even though you promised you wouldn't. You coveted what your neighbor has, and we're not grateful to God. You complained and grumbled against your parents, or you fought with your siblings. Again, we're lazy. We don't like hard work. We want instant relief from all of our sins and burdens. But this is not the life that God calls us to. God calls us to fight the good fight of faith. Faith grows. So because you sin today, it doesn't mean you need to do the same thing again tomorrow. About two months ago, I was sorting through some old uh, files that I had, and I found a document that that Nathan had asked me to write when we were working together in pastor's college. Uh, He asked me a couple of questions about three years ago. This is 2018, and he wanted me to write down answers. So I found that page. The first two questions were, how do you want to grow, and how do you want your wife to grow? And I read it, and I answered the first question by saying that I wanted to grow in joy. I wanted to trust God more and have joy but because of that trust in God. I wanted to have a trust that would get me through times of doubt. And so when I read this a couple of months ago, my heart sunk. Because if you would have asked me the day before I found that file again, how I want to grow, my answer would have been the same. I would have said the same thing. I want to grow in joy. 
I want to grow in trust in God that will get me through times of doubt. So on paper, my desire for growth is the same as it was three years ago. I wanted to grow in joy then. I want to grow in joy today. But by God's grace, the amount of joy in my life is not the same. It has grown. I've often had issues with water at my house. Uh, from the time that we moved in, we had no water when we moved in, and then it's been pretty consistently about once per year. You can just about count on it. A couple weeks ago, I had a, a picture come up in, in like one year ago today, and it was me dealing with a water issue at my house. And then earlier this week, my, our well pump broke, and we had no water again. So it's pretty consistent year after year. Uh, when we moved in and we had no water, I had no joy and I had no hope. I didn't have trust in God during that time. This past week, when our pump broke, I was able to talk to my children about how God has always provided for us in the past, about how he always will. I was able to be an example to my children of joy and trust in God in trial. Now, I was struggling. This wasn't an easy thing, and there are a few of you men who I called on Monday who know that's not the full story. There's more to it. But that's growth. I still want to grow in joy, and I probably will the rest of my life. But I'm seeing progress because faith grows. The question God offers us is not, how did you sin today? We need to confess those sins and have confidence in God's forgiveness. The question before us is, what are you going to do tomorrow? What sin are you going to say no to tomorrow that you didn't today? What victory will you have tomorrow by God's power? This is what it means to grow in faith. It doesn't mean you wake up tomorrow perfect. It means that by God's grace, you will wake up tomorrow further along than you were today. There'll be ups and downs, but praise God for this gift of growth in faith. So where did you start? Did you start like Nicodemus, afraid of mentioning the name of Jesus? coming to him at night, not professing him openly, then take heart. Because you can end like Nicodemus ended. Give glory to God because he gives us power to grow. Don't live your lives for yourself. Nicodemus didn't care about his reputation or his money at the end. He gave it all up so that he might show public honor to Christ, so that he might show public honor to his Savior. Pray. Father, we thank you for this gift of faith. Thank you for how you've worked in us to bring us here. We pray that you would increase our faith, that it would be evident in powerful actions in our lives. Help us to rely on your grace day by day for growth and holiness. Please use us as you use Nicodemus to honor you. We pray in Jesus' powerful name, amen.